0: Hi, I'm Matana DeWitt, joined by Dr. Drew Johnson. Welcome to Discover Your Roots, a podcast that will give you tools for understanding the Bible in its original context and its wisdom for today. Let's get started. Welcome back to episode four. If you are listening to episode four and you've listened to the previous three, then congratulations! We we appreciate you, <laughs> our most loyal listeners. <laughs> you've Made it in. this far? Yes, you've made it this far. We're going to get into some into some good stuff today. So, uh, so thanks for joining us. Kind of a little bit of a uh, maybe recaps the wrong word, but just. Going back to where we started, you know, thinking back to episode one, we're talking about biblical literacy, but even more than that, biblical fluency. So basically what that means is that we want to be able to not just understand what the Bible's actually trying to tell us, but we want to be able to understand how to um, kind of create our own language around it and know how to apply um, the biblical understanding, the biblical thought to our present day situations. Would you say that's an accurate place where we're starting or do you want to add some color to that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's good. We're, okay. we're trying to, yeah, I like you create your own vocabulary. I think it's actually a really important step that I did not mention before because every culture that we speak to, uh, will have a slightly different vocabulary. So Paul spoke in often stoic brushes. You know, if you think about a painter, you know, he used various brushes and hues and Van Gogh used lots of globs of paint. Uh, and so I think Paul, you can often see speaking in a very particular way, which I think most Paul scholars would say he spoke that way because that's how, that's how it needed to be said so that people could hear. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes people confuse that with, well, this is what Paul actually thinks he was a stoic in disguise or something like that. And, and we do this like in, in class all the time. Um, there's the way I would prefer to say something and then there's the way I need to say it in class so that my students will hear it and not be Mm -hmm. overly distracted by something. And then sometimes Mm -hmm. I intentionally distract them. To, to prod them into the, the, the throw topic them off a little well. bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Awesome. So again, we're thinking about well, thinking about Hebraic thought, talking about Hebraic thought, um, and kind of how that plays into our understanding of the Bible. So as we get a little bit more from, we're kind of moving now from the conceptual to the practical. The past three episodes have really been setting the stage for why is it important that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, no matter if we're college students, parents, uh, you don't have to be a biblical scholar, you don't have to be a pastor for this to be meaningful and important for you, um, why Why that's important. So we've talked about that. We've talked about what Hebraic thought is, which is basically the way the biblical authors saw the world, um, kind of their frame of reference. So now we're going to talk about how do we actually find that in the Bible? What does this look like in the Bible? So can you kind of tell us where we're going to be going from here?
1: Okay, so it's going to be weird. It's going to feel <laughs> weird, but what we're really trying to do is is say how how did the biblical authors use literature? Right, they could have used lots of different means. God could have spoken to us however He wanted, right? But uh, He spoke through His prophets, and they uh, were written down and collected for us. So how do you use literature to do this thing of kind of getting over the shoulder of somebody and saying, do you, do you see what I'm talking about here? And mm-hmm. no, because no, there's a lot often of like, ignore this, not important, focus on this. Do you see this? Do you mm-hmm. see it now? Do you see it now? And if the truth, if if the real reality of the kingdom of God, of justice, of righteousness, of goodness, uh, includes marriage, political life, how we treat animals, how we build houses, if it includes all of that. These are really dense and thick ideas. Um, and so a lot of times the way I get you to understand a really thick, dense idea is I have to show you one angle, then I have to show you another angle, then I have to show you another angle. And together we can put these, uh, these ideas together and say, Oh, it's, it's the same gem that they're showing us. Right. Mm-hmm. So if we think about that classic example of the sin, uh, six blind men standing around an elephant, you know, each grabbing, uh, four of them grabbing a leg and two of them, you know, one grabbing the trunk and one grabbing the tail, um, you know, and, and saying, let me tell you what an elephant is. You know, it's spongy and, and, you know, it wraps around things and it moves and it's snotty or whatever. And the other one saying, no, no, the, the elephant is it's very whip like and it moves around in this sideways fashion. And the four men going, no, we think it's like like a tree trunk, you know, and. And the interesting thing, when I I present that to students, um, I often say, like, what would resolve the problem here? And they're like, oh, if they could just not be blind. Uh, And I'm like, well, yes. Okay, maybe. But actually, no. Uh, Even if they had sight, it doesn't solve the problem. The way they all six come to understand the elephant more elephantly, since we're doing that now, um, (laughs) is they talk to each other. They mm-hmm. describe to each other what they're experiencing and through that shared experience. Again, the wisdom of the community is the greater than in, the wisdom of any individual in that community. And so thinking about how the biblical authors do something like that. They have an elephant, right? The elephant mm-hmm. in the room. Um but they can't show us the whole thing. They can only take us around to each side of it. You know, literally. Imagine an elephant in a room, right? And it's a really tight space, right? And like, well, okay, let me show you around the hind corners here. Let me show you the underside. Let me show you the front. Um, and that's kind of what they're doing with their literature is they're showing you various aspects, which means it, it is a crumb trail. Um, they they give you a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, a little bit there, and they expect you to follow along. Mm. Which also its, means it's not
0: just a, a list of bullet
1: points. It is not bullet points, Dang. like bad sermons, <laughs> right? Um, so it, it's not, and just think about that. If you hand somebody a list of facts or bullet points, uh, like you suggest, really you're basically saying, all right, these are, it's more like a cat with a ball mm-hmm. of yarn. These are yours. Go play with them, right? Mm. Um, But, uh, the biblical authors are a little bit more like, we've talked about this, they're a little bit more like Robert California from The Office, the American version. Uh, dear Lord, don't watch the British version. Um, but the American version, Robert California, you know, they'll ask him like, is, is our company closing down? You know, like a real serious question, you know, life altering question. And what does Robert California do if you don't know the character? He'll, he'll tell them a story, story and then he'll tell them another story and then he'll tell them another story and then he'll tell them a proverb and then he'll just, Wink at them and walk away, you know? (laughs) No, yes or no. (laughs) Yeah, Never a yes or no, right? Um, Now, I think that character, he does it intentionally to confuse and misdirect in some cases. Um, But there is a way in which you can do this uh, intelligibly in order to not hand somebody. Now, notice what's happening there, like the power dynamics. It's the, I'm in charge. I'm going to tell you how this goes. I'm not handing you three facts that you can play with you have to hang out with me you have to listen to the story from beginning to end you have to figure out what the conflict and resolution were and then try to uh, put those together I mean just as a quick example um, how how does God uh, care about the lost? Jesus tells a story of a woman with a lost coin and then another story about uh, a lost sheep and then another story about a lost son right mm-hmm. and he expects us, to pull those three together and come up with what's common between them and and also what's unique, right? So the final story about the prodigal son has some very unique features to it that are pushing you to think beyond merely being a lost sheep or a lost coin. Um, so this technique can be very frustrating uh, to people <laughs> who, who just want like, just give it to me. Give it to me straight, right? So they want... Socrates, uh, they want Arist- Aristotle, you know, like the syllogism, if, you know, if all men are mortal, then Socrates is a man, then Socrates is mortal, right? That direct line of reasoning. Geometric. Yeah. Yeah. Where proof. I can see every premise and I can see exactly how it works out. Mm-hmm. And it, and if all men are mortal and Socrates is a man, uh, then Socrates must be mortal. And it must be, and it cannot be otherwise, mm-hmm. right? We love that kind of one plus one equals two, and it has to be two, and it cannot be otherwise. Mm. Um, just think about what that does inside of us. It kind of locks things down so that we never have to think about it again. We never have to worry about it again. And scripture is doing something else. It's actually saying, let me trouble you with it. Something right. The world was created this way. It was fantastic. And then it fell apart immediately because of some uh, particular actions. Um, and then it fell apart apart some more. And then believe it or not, it got worse. Uh, Mm -hmm. but then there was this, you know, this guy, Oh, but he was pretty horrible, too. <laughs> and then he had cousins. Oh, my goodness. let us We're not going to even tell you about what their daughters did to their father. Um, so it really is this series of stories that is setting you up to understand, you know, it's setting up roads that it's going to take you down through Scripture that are going to show you the nature of the kingdom of God, the nature of God's rule, the, the responsibility of the people in his community. But it's not going to show it to you all at once because it's too complex. It's too multifaceted. I mean, even Jesus, this is one of the things I love about Jesus. Even he, master and uh, commander of the universe, had to stop and think, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Like, what, what, what is the best comparison? And then he gives multiple comparisons. It's like a tree that, or a seed that sprouts up, or it's kind of like the tree that gives shade and rest to the birds, you know? Mm. And he's giving you different sides of that multifaceted gem. So I think for us who, and, if my experience in the classroom tells me anything, it's that students just want it straight. They want the they want the bullet points so that they can regurgitate them. What is back. it going to say on the test? <laughs> yeah, they think it's an economic exchange. Mm-hmm. That like, look, I'm paying you to do this thing. You give me you have facts, give them to me. I'll regurgitate <laughs> them to you. You'll give me the grade. One done. Right. Mm-hmm. And the biblical authors are saying, no, we're gonna we're actually gonna walk down a road together. Wow. Uh, and you need to walk with me. And as you walk, I'm gonna point to things that are important. I'm going to show you the richness of this thing. And eventually, magically, you'll come to see the world differently than you ever could have before. Mm. And I think what's important for us to remember if people are trapped in that, like, well, I just want to know more stuff. If you don't walk down the road uh, along with the biblical authors, and by walk down the road, I mean live the life in community, do the rituals that God uh, asks us to do, commands us to do, instructs us to do. Um, it's it's not just that it'll be troublesome. You will never ever see the thing that God is trying to show you unless you do these things. Mm. Uh, I wrote an entire two books on this topic and I was shocked at how much scripture keeps on reinforcing this point. If you don't embody these practices as a community, you won't ever see it. Mm. And it starts in Genesis uh, three where God said, here's the practices I want you to embody as a community Mm. and you will know my goodness. Uh, He doesn't say it. It's just implied and then the serpent comes along and says, here's what I want you to embody. Mm. And by doing this, you're going to see the nature of good and evil, and you're going to be like God. Uh, and, of course, he was right, except he was he was right and wrong in the worst possible ways. Mm. So that's what I'm calling pixelization because uh, I don't really have a better word for it. Pointillism was the one I came up with earlier, but, yeah, see, a lot of people looked at me like that. Pointillism is that style of art and um, – and the expressionist period where they just do dots of paint and mm-hmm. and no one dot of paint is the painting or gives you the image. But when you step back and see how all the dots are correlated together, mm. um, you can, you can see the image mm-hmm. and the same thing with, um, I have a digital device here. You could hold up an iPhone or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. just look at the screen of anything digital. It's actually a bunch of dots, a bunch of pixels, mm-hmm. um, in no single Pixel makes sense or does anything uh, mm-hmm. on its own. It's only how the pixels are related to each other, which means you kind of in scripture you need to know what the pixels are, the important pixels are in the in the image. The one that image the image wouldn't make sense without them. Um, and then you also need to step back and see how they're uh, correlated together.
0: Hmm. That kind of reminds of what we were talking about in a previous episode. Uh, basically, what happens whenever we create um, a, a a whole framework of of theology or or Christian mm. practice around like one verse, kind of like taking right. taking a whole picture and saying, okay, well, I just want this one pixel. This right. one pixel is enough to support this this whole you know way of life that we create. What happens whenever we do that? Um, whenever we we take basically one scripture or or one pixel, one verse of the Bible, and say, okay, well, this must be how it's supposed to be.
1: Yeah, and I know what some people are thinking. I I, I try to get in the objection mind frame. Uh, some people are saying, "Well, but didn't Jesus say, you know, there's two great commandments: love your neighbor uh, and and love your God with all your heart, mind?" So he's pulling together Leviticus 19 again, Leviticus, and uh, Deuteronomy 6 there. I would say, yeah, but he doesn't mean just those two commandments i mean i think if you look at his teaching in his life he means all the stuff that's that gets you to the point where you can understand what those two commandments mean so even love your neighbors yourself the issue comes up like well who's my neighbor right and notice what does he do he tells his story Mm. um and there there was a man wounded you know robbed and wounded and left and then three men came along and then he asked the question at the end who turned out to be the neighbor um and and the guy has to begrudgingly admit that it was the Samaritan, you know, the person they probably would have thought couldn't have been um, the good person in this scenario. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, this idea of uh, that a single a single sentence like love the Lord God your God with all your might soul, and soul strength, you know, if you've been in a church for a day or two, you would say like okay, okay yeah, but how how do we do that? Like, can I watch Netflix? all day long with my heart, soul, and strength devoted to God? Like, I mean, yeah. can I participate in oppressive systems of government? Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Because um, there are Christians right now making that decision. Can I participate in a system of government that is actually oppressive uh, and oppresses certain people by race, class, or otherwise, and, and fully commit myself to God uh, and keep that commandment? And the answer can only be found, as Jesus would say, by going back, by beginning with Moses and the prophets and reasoning through, Mm. um, which is what Jesus does when people, when these questions comes up and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he reasoned with them. Mm. Um, So I think you're, I've done something right because you created a really good example. It would be like someone pointing to the red pixel on their screen and going, this is the, this is the whole image right Mm -hmm. here and how absurd that would be. I think it looks equally absurd to look at a rich set of teaching that requires you to embody in community and pulling a sentence out and going this is the sentence mm. right and hanging right. a ministry on it and being like our ministry this is going to be our go to uh ministry mm-hmm. uh i also i'm not going to say which kid but i have a child who <laughs> was being particularly uh persnickety when asked in a setting in a setting of other high schoolers uh what is your life verse he uh he cited uh, judges 19 i don't remember the exact uh verse but uh, bring them out that we may know them and if you know judges 19 <laughs> Uh, you will you will know that uh, the, the setting of that verse or that sentence um, is not a great one but you have to you have to know judges 19 and you, how bad is it well it looks pretty bad on the surface but if you know Genesis 19 the parallel telling of that story in Sodom and Gomorrah you realize actually something more than just telling a horrible story is going on there they're actually trying it's these are two pixels uh, that are clearly related to each other because of the same story just with different characters
0: okay hmm Wow, um, yeah. The, <laughs> there's some, there's some interesting. Yeah, Old Testament story. And now you, I'm like thinking about that story. Like, yeah, wow. Um, yeah. So thinking about like you kind of mentioned this a little bit ago, but thinking about as we as we learn more about scripture, it's really important that that happens. One in, in community. That mm-hmm. has to be has to happen in community. Has to happen as we practice the rituals. That are kind of set in front of us. What does that look like for us now? Because I think a lot of people would say, you know, the the Torah, the the Old Testament, mm. that was before the new covenant. Um, what does it look like now for us to like practice those those kind of rituals that that God commanded the people of Israel to practice to remember him? What does what does that look like now? I know some people may point to communion, baptism, things right. like that, but maybe maybe you're meaning something different by that so i'm curious what you would yeah, think
1: yeah i think and again i have a whole book actually answering this question so it's it's uh i have a lot of thoughts on this <laughs> <laughs> that was a short way of saying i have a lot of thoughts <laughs> like 250 pages worth. but one of the simple things is um it it is you know asking the question do our rituals and habits and practices extend from the natural teaching of scripture so for instance fasting um Jesus just said, when you fast, don't do it this way. Or praying, when you pray, do it. He just assumed that people are doing this. So um, praying and fasting has some part of the Christian life. I do think there's lots of ways in which people can faithfully do that in different communities that don't look identical to each other. Mm. So I don't think there is one model for the church that everybody has to be or become. Um, but if you talked about a, a community of believers that didn't pray, didn't fast— didn't give sacrificially um, didn't seem to care and if I can think so those are like the obvious ones that a lot of people go to but thinking more like what do they do with their bodies day in and day out like what by their obsessions their habits what they give their time and their money to what are they indicating about what they think is valuable in this Mm -hmm. world Um, do they uh, how do they esteem themselves are they worried about honor and shame we you know it used to be in New Testament studies you'd have to say like Well, there was this weird Roman honor and shame culture, you know, and you have to like spend all this time trying to explain it to people. And now we're just like, uh, Instagram. So Instagram, (laughs) which is a straight up honor, shame culture or Twitter, um, academics is an honor, shame culture. You want to be associated with people who are honorable and high Mm -hmm. and have lots of kudos and uh, you want your name next to their name and you want to sit next to them at conferences. And so like, uh, so the... Very sycophantic, you know, behaviors. If that's what's being, uh, if that's how ha- that is happening in a Christian community, mm-hmm. if that is being, uh, like fed in a Christian community by that community theologically, then something's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to go, none, none of this is fancy. I mean, we've, we've all seen the rise and fall of Mark Driscoll. This is a big idea that the celebrity pastors, uh, you know, they had, in some ways, I've heard people be like, you know, we didn't see this coming, how bad it was going to be. I was in seminary at the time, a new Christian. So I was reading all that scripture real closely, mm-hmm. um, and trying to practice it because I came from a very non-Christian, uh, life. I was, I was about the opposite when I became a Christian. So I was really trying to think about what I did with my bodies. What are they, what I did with my time and my singular body. Um, <laughs> And I remember looking at Mark Driscoll and hearing what people were celebrating about him thinking, like, man, I've been reading Paul. Like, like none of that jives Mm -hmm. with Paul. Like, none of that the things that I was seeing. Like, not obviously his view of salvation and, you know, that wasn't the problem. It was, like, his view of manliness and his view of leadership. And I just kept on looking at Peter and Hebrews and Paul and John and James and Jude and Jesus because I was in the New Testament because I didn't know there was an Old Testament back then. (laughs) (laughs) I was like... I was like, this doesn't work, right? This mm. isn't how it's lived in the community. So I think a lot of it is not rocket science. When students ask me about uh, – I, I talk quite a bit openly about sexuality in my class on the Torah. And, um, and then students want to kind of have office hours where they really are struggling with a personal sexual issue. And they kind of want to make room for any kind of sexuality is essentially at the bottom mm. line. And they're, but they're good Christians and they want to think through what does scripture actually think? And I heard this is all just culturally contextual. And I'm like, well, it is culturally contextual, but I'm like, just read four of Paul's letters with the question in mind. What does Paul think about sexuality? Um, and I, you might not get every last answer to every burning question in your heart, but you're going to get a, f- a, a solid, fuzzy image of like it's something like this that mm. Paul thinks is important here. And the, and the knowing that it's something like this is really helpful because then that helps you to say, and, I, and therefore it can't be some of these mm. other things, right?
0: But again, that's not just looking at one pixel. That's taking a Ex- lot of them yep. and looking at a, a broader
1: way. Yeah. My general advice is gulp don't sip when it comes to Scripture because mm. um, sipping is just going to get you in trouble and mm. create distorting lenses. Um, if you've read First Corinthians, you know, like 20 times over a week or two, then yeah, drop in and see one sentence because you kinda know how that sentence fits in with the rest. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, First Corinthians, second Corinthians were not were not written to be understood one sentence at a time. They were hmm. they were like a story like John Steinbeck's East of Eden. Wouldn't make any sense to read one chapter. You gotta read hmm. the whole thing.
0: So. Hmm. That's great. I know you've kind of mentioned the term Easter eggs, uh, kind of thinking of yeah. of the Bible as having like all these Easter eggs, and you have to go hunt for them. Um, as we, you know, kind of think about that, then also I feel like every episode I'm saying this is going to, we're going to talk about this more in the next episode, but um, as we kind of prepare again for future episodes, how would you say that that Easter egg approach can be helpful for us?
1: Yeah the uh it, it, but i don't know how you understand the word easter egg so i want to make sure i'm okay <laughs> cuz i might misunderstand it cuz sometimes i use the lingo of the kids Uh-oh. and then i don't actually know what i'm talking about <laughs> but i mean they kind of i wouldn't say hi. they just embed sometimes words phrases mm-hmm. um that show up again and again and again in these particular situations and those are the kind of the breadcrumbs that they're like mm-hmm. uh it's almost like a wink and a nod like do you see what i'm doing here so in deuteronomy like, oh, that 28 looks familiar. yeah exactly yeah. deuteronomy 28 is the one that is immediately coming to my head where it's if you listen to the lord your god listen diligently to keep his commandments statutes and rules like this like to To listen to his instruction and live it out in community is essentially what it says. Mm -hmm. Then blessed will be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your kneading bowl, the fruit of your livestock, the fruit. And you're like, blessing and fruitfulness, where have I heard this before? Now, if you don't know scripture that well, again, if you're not biblically literate, you might think like, oh, fruitfulness and blessing, that's all over the place in the Bible. Mm -hmm. But actually, it's not. It's it's only in a very few places where Mm -hmm. blessing and fruitfulness show up together, Uh, one of them being Genesis 1 through 3 um, uh, be, being, a key one. And also when you follow through and, and also it's the, and if you don't listen to me and you don't keep this as a community, then curse would be your needing bowl and curse would be the fruit of your womb. And then cursed be, we're like, Oh, I've heard that before. Curse would be the fruit of your womb, right? This idea mm-hmm. that, um, the cursing going on with sexual reproduction. So that's one of those where they're using language and a little bit of repetition to wink at you and go, like if you listen and, and live out the instructions of God let him get over your shoulder and show you the world it can it won't be Eden but it can be Eden-like like we can do something that's productive and prolific and flourishing but if you won't it can be east of Eden right it can mm-hmm. be what happens when you go outside when you have when you leave the presence of God mm-hmm. uh, and if you keep going it, it it gets worse than cursed you know livestock and cursed wombs it, it gets it gets really nasty in fact I'll just finish the thought. Since we're, tra- <laughs> Since we're tracing some crumbs here, it it goes on to repeat what Leviticus promised as a curse, which is that you're going to eat your own children as cannibals. Um, mm-hmm. Like so, it, when you're in your high walled cities in which you put your trust, God's going to send armies to besiege you, and He's going to starve you out, so that even the most refined a uh, woman amongst you is going to eat her own children and not share the meat with her husband you're like okay dang that's pretty it's <laughs> pretty rough it's tense, yeah. and then we see it happen in mm-hmm. second kings 6 where two two women are beseeching a king with one be- dead baby and one live baby so we've seen that before as mm-hmm. well in in first kings and uh and they're looking for advice on what to do because they've agreed to eat their children mm-hmm. and one they've eaten one children and now this woman is hiding her child and they can't eat it right they, okay, th- that's a pretty – that one really dark. <laughs> <laughs> but that's an example of where – Hey, it's like, in the Bible, y'all. <laughs> yeah, this is in the Bible. It's not – these are not accidental. Th- I mean mm-hmm. like there's a point where you're like, wait, what is that – is that go- – oh, yes, that is absolutely going on. Mm-hmm. Now it's – what are they doing by putting those two things in, in conversation with – that's the hyperlinking part. Mm-hmm. So that's these pixels but then figuring out which pixels are connected to each other. And lots of core pixel, pixels in scripture are multiply connected to different avenues and roads.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Well, get your Easter egg basket ready. Uh, we're going to be diving into poetry next. Uh, so make sure that you, you, you be here for that because we have, some, we have some fun things to talk about with poetry. So we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Discover Your Roots. This podcast is brought to you by the Passages team and is made possible by our generous donors. If you'd like to make a contribution to the work we do, please visit passagesisrael.org and click the donate button. To find more resources about the Bible in its original context, the roots of the Christian faith in Israel, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Jewish-Christian relations, and more, subscribe to our newsletter at passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. Again, that's passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. You can also follow us on social media to learn more about Israel and the Bible, at Passages Israel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, I'm Matana DeWitt. Thanks for listening.